Hey, Sam, have you read the latest chapter of Luke 7? Yes, I have. What's on your mind? Well, we're about to dive even deeper into this chapter in today's podcast episode. That's right, and we have a special guest helping us out with the introduction, right? Yes, that's correct. We're using an AI assistant to help us with the introduction today. But don't worry, we'll be handling the rest of the episode ourselves. I'm excited to see how this AI assistant will help us start off the episode. Me too. You know, it's interesting to see how technology is becoming more integrated into our lives, even in the world of faith and spirituality. Definitely. But it's important to remember that technology is just a tool, and it's up to us to use it for good purposes. That's a good point, Sam. And with this AI assistant, we hope to gain some fresh perspectives on this scripture passage that we might not have otherwise considered. Absolutely. Let's get started and see what insights we can uncover together. Welcome to Discovery Bible Study on Front Porch Report. This season, Sam and I are making our slow way through the very rich, very dense Gospel of Luke, where we are seeking to tease out questions such as, what does this text say about God? What does it say about people? And what does it say about the Gospel? We've been practicing this Discovery Bible Study method for years now, and it has truly blessed our lives. I hope that you get the opportunity to answer these questions along with us as you listen to the text, and that you can gather with a group of friends to share what you've learned with each other, so that as a community we can grow in our faith. All right, guys, welcome to another episode of Discovery Bible Study. We are leaving the AI back on the shelf uh, from here on out. Don't worry, we did not use it. We're not letting the robots take over the Bible study, but I just thought that would be kind of fun to do and on trend right now. How you doing, Sam? Man, I'm doing all right. It's uh, It's been a minute uh, since I was last here, something with school yeah. or something or another. And I definitely misspoke in the uh, in the last episode that I did by myself. I said you were taking your boards. You're not taking your boards yet. You were just doing some final exams. But the boards are coming, so if you were praying for that, you can continue to pray for that. Yeah. Like Paul Revere, the boards are coming. The boards are coming. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and this week, you're actually going to be um, going to Beach Reach, driving around a bunch of drunk college kids at South Padre yes. Islands. That's another thing to be praying I, for for you. I will not be one of the drunk college kids. I will be driving. Just want to reestablish that. So they will they will be safe and in competent hands, I promise. Maybe not competent. I kid. You're going to be the designated driver for the whole island during spring break. <laughs> with much with much responsibility comes. <laughs> uh. Perhaps much vomit, but hopefully also good gospel conversations. <laughs> indeed, indeed. If you don't know what Beach Reach is, um, 
you can look it up or you can follow hashtag BRSPI23 and it will give you prompts to pay, pray for on Twitter. So please uh, be praying and if you can follow that hashtag if you want. That's hashtag BRSPI. That's Beach Reach South Padre Island 23 as in 2023. Perfect. Well, I think that we should give the people what they want and finish off Luke chapter 7. Are you ready for this? I think that's what everyone wants, man. Mm -hmm. All right. Uh, We'll kick it off with verse 31. You want to go ahead and take that? Luke 7, starting in verse 31. To what then should I compare the people of this generation? And what are they like? They're like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to each other. We played the flute for you, but you didn't dance. We sang a lament, but you didn't weep. For John the Baptist did not come eating bread or drinking wine, and you say, He is a demon. The Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and you say, Look, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collector and sinners. Yet wisdom is vindicated by all her children. Then one of the Pharisees invited him to eat with him. He entered the Pharisee's house and reclined at table. And a woman in the town who was a sinner found out that Jesus was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house. She brought an alabaster jar of perfume and she stood behind him at his feet weeping and began to wash his feet with her tears. She wiped his feet with her hair, kissing them and anointing them with the perfume. When the Pharisee who had invited them saw this, he said to himself, this man, if he were a prophet would know who, what kind of woman this is and who is touching him. She's a sinner. Jesus replied to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. He said, Say it, teacher. A creditor had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. Since they could not pay it back, he graciously forgave them both. So, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, I suppose the one he forgave more. You have judged correctly, he told him. Turning to the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house, and you gave me no water for my feet. But she with her tears has washed my feet and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but she hasn't stopped kissing my feet since I came in. You didn't anoint my head with olive oil, but she has anointed my feet with perfume. Therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven. That's why she loved much. But the one who is forgiven little loves little. Then he said to her, Your sins are forgiven. Those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, Who is this man who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. All right, so as we finish that passage for today, Sam, what are some initial things that stick out to you, questions or observations? So people love to talk about, like, Jesus turning water into wine. Like, people, when they're like, oh, like, Jesus wasn't anti-alcohol, he turned water into wine. But, like, no one ever quotes this passage. Like, I don't get why no one ever quotes this passage, because Jesus himself is like, yo, I come drinking and you call me a drunkard. Like, what, the only way to read that is Jesus drank wine. That, that, there is no other intellectually honest way to be like, oh, yeah, you could explain that away, you know, or uh, the fundamentalist camp who, like, Jesus turned water into sweet tea for that one, you know. 
Um, nothing like that. Like, I just... And what's funny is there's also a similar account in Matthew to this. I've always wondered why, like, this doesn't get mentioned more often. You know, obviously, Jesus never sinned. But do you think he ever, you know... Like, obviously, calling him a drunkard is probably hyperbole, but... Like, oh, do you think? He, do you think that he ever got to the point where, like, he said something he's like regretted, or is like thinking back later, he's like hmm, maybe, maybe I should have kept that in for. I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't know. I will say, like, I had a conversation with somebody once, and I was like, "Do you think Jesus ever tripped?" And they were like, "No, he's perfect." And I'm like, "But he was also human. Like, mm-hmm. it's not it's not sinful to trip." Okay. Um. And so I, I, I don't know. I will say uh, I would hold to the fact that Jesus was sinless. And so um, that's a cop-out answer, obviously. But yeah, I don't know. That is a, that's an interesting thing to ponder on. Yeah. One thing that really stands out to me is the irony of the fact that Simon is questioning whether Jesus can see the truth about the woman's past as Jesus is actively like reading his mind and reading his intentions. Like, you know, in his mind, he's like, oh, man, if this was a real prophet, then he'd know who's back there. And then Jesus is like, hey, so that thought process you had going on in your mind just now, um, let's let's talk about that. And it, it kind of makes me wonder, though, was it expected that prophets would just know everything? Like, is that kind of what's behind Simon's question there? Like, if he was a prophet, he would know everything. And so he would recognize this woman's past. Or is it more of a thing of like, if, if he's a prophet, that means he's a man of God. I'm a man of God. I'm a Pharisee. And so as a prophet, he should act like me with this woman who's like, obviously a sinner comes in. Like, is that more the vibe that we're going for? Or is it, or are they just assuming that a prophet's a, a superhero mind reader that should just know everything? To be honest, man, I would read it as the latter. You know, I, I think of, you know, there was a sermon jam by uh, a guy named Judah Smith, and he was talking about Hosea. And he was talking particularly about the passage where Hosea has to go and and buy back his wife, Gomer, right? And imagining, like, the places that he had to go to, they were not necessarily the most clean, uh, at least in the Jewish sense, not even the sanitary sense, places that a, a... prophet would have to go or a man of God would have to go. And yet God commanded him into those places in order to buy his wife back. Right. And and so I would read parallel to that, like, oh, this isn't done. You know, you don't, you don't sit down with sinners like this. Like, what is he doing? Isn't he a prophet? Doesn't he know? Personally, that's kind of the way I I read this, but I I mean, (laughs) I don't know. Uh, to quote uh, a wiser theologian than me, there's only one right way to read scripture. I'm just not exactly sure what it is. <laughs> so, Sam, as we get ready to go into the, the Discovery Bible study questions, um, first, I'd like to say to the listener, you know, as we are considering these questions, I hope that you are, too. And I hope that when we ask the question, what does it say about God? What does it say about people? What does it say about the gospel that an answer occurs to you, and I especially hope that your answer is different than the one that either of us give. It doesn't have to be, but whatever you do come up with something unique or an idea that's different than either of us, that means that, you know, you're really considering what the text is saying, you're really considering what how the Spirit might be speaking to you, and so 
Uh, I hope that you will participate with us in this, even though you don't have the microphone in front of you. I hope that this is something that we get to do together. And then I hope you have the opportunity to share your response, share your answer with with someone in your life. Maybe that's us through our social media. Uh, We'll plug that later. But let's go ahead and get started. Sam, what does this passage say about God to you? What it says about God to me is the way we approach God matters, you know, Imagine, you know, you are are this Pharisee and you're like, Jesus, come eat with me. Come to my house. Let me throw you a party. Proverbially, it doesn't say this in scripture, but let me slaughter the fattened calf, right? Like, like these are things that are like we think we are performative for God, that, that we think, hey, God, look what I can offer you. We talked about a little bit about this uh, last week when we were talking, actually two weeks ago, sorry, when we were talking about the, the posture of the uh, Roman soldier as he approached Jesus and he was approached him with humility. But you notice how the, the woman approaches Jesus. And you see this deep mourning of her sin. You see this regret. You see this... You know, I'm not worthy to be here. Like, I hate feet. I'm not a feet person. I didn't go to podiatry school for a reason. For clarification, podiatry school is where you go to be a foot doctor for clarification. I don't want to be a foot doctor. Yeah, there's a whole separate school. You don't go to med school, you go to podiatry school. It's complicated. I don't know why. Anyway, I cannot imagine using your tears because you were so overcome with emotion that you are literally washing this man's feet with your tears. Like, like, but they, they weren't walking around in, in air Jordans in first century. Okay. They were, they were doing good to have sandals. And so let's just say their feet were uh, politely crusty. We're just going to say that. Right. And so like you got enough tears to wash somebody's feet. That's a lot. And then to dry it with your hair is a very intimate act especially in, in the Jewish sense, because uh, married women uh, would never let down their hair uh, unless it was for their husband. It was considered a, a very sensual thing and, and a very vulnerable thing. And so the act of her letting down her hair in order to dry his feet is very symbolic of we are the bride of Christ, not that she was literally declaring herself the, the physical human bride of Jesus. I want to be clear on that. I'm not preaching heresy here. But I, I find that really fascinating, that that is the posture that this woman comes to Jesus. And all too often, I find myself in situations of, of sin and of, you know, just screwing up as, as humans are often wont to do. And my first thought is, God, let me show you what I can do for you. Come sit at my table. Let me slaughter the fattened calf for you. Let me do this for you. And my response is often not to get on my knees and ball my eyes out and, and wash my feet or wash the Lord's feet with my hair. Um, and, and, and God honors one of those responses. I'm not saying we can't throw a feast. I'm not saying that. There are Old Testament <laughs> declarations and times for feast. Feasting has its appropriate season. But the way we, we approach God in, in times of sin and, and in times of separation is, is that of humility, and God honors that. 
hope that makes sense and is clear. Taz, what are you seeing? What are you thinking? Go. You know, the the observation that I have for this question is, in a way, a response to yours. Because you're absolutely right in that the way that we approach God really matters to how we're going to experience his love and his grace. But I also think it's just really fascinating that Jesus is reclining at this table, right? In verses... You know, in verses 44 through 46, Jesus describes the lack of hospitality that Simon showed him. He didn't give him water to wash his feet. He didn't give him a kiss of greeting. He didn't give him oil for his head. But Jesus was still there. And it just strikes me that God has such compassion on anybody and everybody that he is willing to spend quality time with people even when they're being disrespectful toward him. And you're totally right in that the way that we approach matters and Simon the Pharisee misses out on the goodness of Christ because of the way that he is approaching him. But God was willing, Jesus was willing to be there, to be there with him and to give him the opportunity. And I think that's just so encouraging to know that in times when I am unworthy of being in the presence of God, in times when... I have myself shown disrespect for him through sins in my life or um, ways that I have not sought his will to know that he still is pursuing me and that he is willing to put himself in my presence. That's Mm. just really good. that's what we can learn about about God but what does this passage say about people to you what's interesting to me is that the gospel is is simple right and like we theologize it I don't know if theologize is a word but I'm going to use it as a word and pretend it is because it sounds good maybe theologize theologize okay Maybe my word is right, but my pronunciation was wrong. I don't know. But, like, we try to make it this complicated thing, you know? And I find it interesting that, like, BBS is a place where the gospel can be understood very concretely by young children. And yet adults have a hard time understanding and wrapping our minds around it. And that can be due to a a myriad of things. Don't get me wrong. And I'm not saying that the gospel doesn't have its complexities, but uh, what I am saying is like Jesus asked him a very simple question. Verse 42, he says, since they, the two individuals, one that owed much, one that owed little could not pay it back. He graciously forgave them both. So which of them will love him more? Simon the Pharisee, uh, starting verse 43, answered, I suppose the one he forgave more. Like, even Simon really understood this, you know, on, on a very simple level. Like, if we break it down to that level, like, it's understandable for people. And yet, all too often, I, I see the church 
not and and when I say the church, I mean the the royal we there, the unified church, especially in America, I see us oftentimes playing the first part with Simon, where you know we're like that person doesn't belong here, you know. Uh, I was listening to a, a podcast a while back, and it talked about how Christians came out in droves to support one particular company for a, a stance they took politically over something. And, and I'm not to say that that we should tolerate sin. I'm not saying we should allow sin, but you know, they they came out in droves over this one particular stance. And uh, the guy who was talking said, "What would it, what would it look like if we as Christians were known by our love of neighbor more than what we stood against?" And that just really gut punched me because all too often I have been known by what I'm against, not the love I have for my neighbor in my life. And there are so many people on this planet, myself included, who did a lot of living before Jesus. And not all of it was good. And when I came to Jesus at 21, I, I brought a lot of baggage and God took me as I am and is still reforming me in his image to this day. And it's a process that hurts sometimes because, you know, the problem with a living sacrifice is it tends to get off the altar. I had a, a wise man once tell me, and so you have to die to yourself daily. And it's not complicated to get. It's really not. And, I, man, I just wish we as a church the royal we, myself even included sometimes, even though I've come from the camp that uh, often feels judged, that it's okay and the gospel's for you. And and you can have this crazy love for God and and have a past and those things are not mutually exclusive. And, and that's okay. And it's it's simple enough to take that at its value and you don't need to feel guilty about that. I'm loving the quotes you're using today. You're you're on fire with with some of these these wise people that you're you're bringing into the conversation. I'm gonna take us a little back up to verses 31 to 34, where he talks about the generation he's in. They're they're sitting in the marketplace, calling out to each other. We played the flute, but you didn't dance. We sang a sad song. You didn't weep, and. Basically, you know, the people are like, ah, John the Baptist, he's not it. He's got a demon. Jesus, he's not it. He's a drunkard. And it's like no amount of tailoring of the style of delivery of a message, no amount of kind of shaping it is going to make the truth universally available to everyone, right? Like, if you don't want to believe something, you are going to find some ancillary excuse that absolves you of the responsibility. Like the people didn't want the people who didn't believe in John. It wasn't because he was a crazy person or he looked like he had a demon. It was because they didn't want to be convicted of their sins and have to repent about it. And the same thing with Jesus. You know, if you can find some excuse to discredit the source of the truth, then you don't have to be responsible for how you respond to the message itself or the truth itself. And so, you know, people are just going to find a way to be unsatisfied with things that they don't want. And that includes us. So even though we have accepted the gospel and we have accepted the truth, there are still elements of things that God might be trying to teach us about 
you know, maybe a certain sin pattern that we don't want to consider to be a sin pattern or, you know, the way that we interact with other people or relate to other people. And if we allow the source of that message to cloud the message itself, then, then we're just like that generation and we are, you know, we're missing what God would have for us because we're making other excuses and not being satisfied. Mm. I think of a, another uh, wise person who once said something very interesting, and I may be crude in my analogy, and you could correct me, but he, he said something like, uh, you know that gene that you have that makes cilantro taste like soap? Well, I have that. Um, and no matter how much I eat cilantro, I'm still going to hate it, right? And, and people often try to use that as an excuse like, oh, it's, it's just like cilantro. No matter what, I can hate it. But often, it's more like strawberries. You see, I hate strawberries. But I imagine if I had enough strawberries, I could actually learn to like them. But people want to use it as an excuse and be picky eaters instead of accepting things in whole. I may be a little crude in that analogy if you remember it, but yeah. Just between us, are you quoting me? I, 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 am, I am quoting you. I am quoting you, yes. Sidebar, everyone. I like strawberries now. What? <laughs> oh, that was hilarious, man. Oh. When did that happen? I just started eating them more often and, you know, just, yeah, I'd... It was pride that was keeping me from, you know, putting in the work to try it. And eventually it was like, there's nothing to be proud about for, you know, not liking a food that's almost universally liked. Like, I don't need to be special in that way. And once I decided that, it was just a matter of, you know, exposing myself. And then it's like, yeah, it's fine. Well, you've, you've further proved my point that, you know, don't be a picky eater. Take Jesus. He's your strawberries. Yeah. And the, you know, the spiritual analog to that for, uh, for strawberries for me is like other people's opinions. I feel like, you know, I, I, I just want to be perceived as a good person and someone who's competent and, you know, doing the right thing. And sometimes that is a really, oftentimes that's a really unhealthy thing, especially like if it, if it prevents me from, you know, living authentically or transparently with um, other believers. But um, it can also affect me, like if I'm working with a bunch of people who maybe aren't believers, and I want to seem like the, um, you know, I, I want to seem uncontroversial to them. And so the thing that I need to do with my spiritual life, like I did with strawberries, is to realize that, hey, it's okay to not be perceived as uncontroversial and well-liked all the time. Like I can, I can let go of how other people perceive me. I can let go of how I perceive myself and just focus on, on God and his view of me. And if I do that, then I, you know, I open myself up to, to the superpower of being able to be someone like Paul, you know, and I think it's first Corinthians four. He says, I don't find myself judged by any human court. I don't even judge myself read an interesting little book by Tim Keller recently talking about that verse. And it's talking about exactly that. It's like, I don't care what other people think about me. I don't care what I think about myself. Even all I care about is what God thinks of me. And that allows me to live for God with freedom 
rather than as a slave to opinions. Total tangent, but we can talk about um, the gospel now. What does this passage? What does this passage say to you, Sam, about the Evangelion? Well, clearly, if you go to verse fifty, what Jesus says to the woman is just so obvious. He says, "The fact that you came to me and cried a bunch and wiped." Uh, my feet off with your hair and you did all these things that were super performative uh, that has saved you now go in peace oh no that's not what he says oh sorry let's 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 Which translation are you using <laughs> let's let's read the text uh, probably I'm gonna shut up because I nearly said something that could have made people mad but it's okay <laughs> I, I don't want to get angry emails oh <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh. But what does Jesus say in verse 50? He says, and he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. And and I would, it's really interesting because uh, you, I, I, I hold the five solas in my hand very, very tightly. I'm pretty reformed in my faith, meaning um, uh, the historical uh, five solas or five onlys of the Reformation were only grace, only faith, only Christ, only scripture, only for the glory of God. That means that that only each of those things saved, that you are saved only by grace, you are saved only by faith, you are saved only by Christ, you are are uh, only uh, to look at Scripture as authoritative, and you are only to live for the glory of God, that those are the, the five things that are, are very key to the Christian faith of, of what is a Christian. And people uh, have hot debates. Our Catholic brothers and sisters have a, a hot debate with a couple of those. It's okay. You know, we, uh, I think it's important that we, we focus on Jesus and we don't go into some of those secondary and tertiary debates. The gospel is what saves. But what, what I think is important here that I'm going to bring out that some of y'all are going to be, Samuel, this is Arminianism sneaking in the back door. And it's not. I'm not saying that. I'm going to say that faith alone saves which I agree with, and I just established over the past two minutes. But the faith that saves never comes alone. It took faith for that woman to come to Jesus, but coming to Jesus was an action. Right? And, and some of us, myself included, oftentimes like, love to preach perseverance of the saints. And, and once saved, always saved. And I'm not debating that. I'm not, I'm not saying that you're, you're not a Christian. I'm just saying, like, Jesus said, you will know they're my disciples by their love and by their fruit. And I think those are very important. And, and this woman's action of, of coming to Jesus um, was very, on one level, humbling, but probably on another level, humiliating. You, I mean, this woman is in a Pharisee's house. She's not the type of woman, for clarification, oftentimes when Pharisees would say sinner, it was euphemistic for a prostitute. And we have fairly good evidence that we can believe that that's the case here at minimum, if not something akin to that nature. Okay? That's that's the kind of woman who's here. And, and she comes in and takes that step of faith to come in into the Pharisee's house where she's not welcome, that she comes to the feet of Jesus where she doesn't feel like she's worthy to be. And she still comes and takes that action. And and, and I, I think of the woman at the well in John chapter four, and, and she runs and says, come here, the man who told me everything I did wrong. And you're like, 
why in the world would I want to talk to that guy? <laughs> That's the last guy I want to talk to. I don't know. But it, it's, it's, and so I think there's this beautiful picture of, of what it means for the humility of coming to Jesus, but understanding that, that, you know, faith alone saves, yes, but the faith that saves is never alone. And, and I think that there's some beautiful things that we can talk about there and we could go on forever. So let's, uh, let's stop and, Taz, what do you see that connects this passage to the gospel? Man, I'm, I'm in full agreement with what you just said. And just to take it a little farther, verse 47, Therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, and that is why she loved much. Mm. Right? The gospel brings about a change in our lives. And, you know, the, the, the chronology doesn't seem to match up there because he doesn't say, I forgive you until after she's done all those things. But there must have been a sense in her mind, maybe she has heard about other people he's forgiven because he's forgiven other people before this moment. But the reason why she behaves as she does is because of the grace and the forgiveness that Jesus gave her. And that is so important for us to remember because too often we try to white knuckle our way into better behavior so that we are more worthy Mm. of being in God's presence. Mm. And it's the other way around. Mm. It is, you know, we are, we are not a, we are not a well that needs to have its own source of water. We are a pipe where the, you know, the living waters of God just gush right on through us. And, you know, a, something's wrong with the pipe if there's a blockage on either end. So if we're trying to block off and, you know, be our own source without the living water from God, then we're going to be empty. And if we try to block off on the other end and don't do anything different because of the water that's flowing into us, we're going to burst. And, you know, this woman is just the great example of that. It's like, because her many sins have been forgiven, she loved much. And, and just let that be true of us. Mm. And lest we be remiss in, you know, imbibing the word of God and then just leaving that on the table. How is this going to change our week, Sam? What's a, what's the application? You know, one of the things I notice here is... Jesus is a really good listener, which is kind of weird because he actually hears the guy's thoughts, but he's still listening. So I'm not going to be able to do that, but I'm going to be able to hear people's words, you know, and Jesus responds. And furthermore, he even asked like kind of permission before he responds in verse 40, you know, Jesus replied to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. Like, yeah, let me, let me speak to this. And Simon replied, say it, teacher. So obviously Simon is willing to have this conversation, but, but Jesus is listening to people. And, and as I'm going to be going uh, to a, a mission field filled with people who are going to be from all different walks of life, uh, it is going to be interesting. And some of the time I'm going to be driving, so I'm not going to be able to have conversations. I'm just going to be able to pray. Other times... I might be in the back. Uh, depends on how things get shifted around, but I wouldn't mind getting in the back a couple times. Um, I've done it before. Uh, for clarification, in the back is where you have conversations with people. Um, I know some of you haven't been to Beach Reach, so that doesn't make sense, but it's okay. Um, but, you know, 
and just listening to people the way Jesus did and listening to, to hear them, not listening to respond to them. And Jesus knew what Simon needed to hear in that moment to at least hopefully understand. But then um, we don't even have record what happens to Simon, at least not that I know of. That could have been another pondering I had. Do we have any record what happens to Simon the Pharisee after this? But I, I think it's just interesting that Jesus listens and responds appropriately. And and the way we do that's with the Holy Spirit. So I'm, I'm going to listen and hopefully respond appropriately as I go into next week. Taz, what uh, what do you see in this that you uh, are wanting to change the world through changing you? I'm asking him to change his way. The great theologian Michael Jackson. I think that's the <laughs> second time I've made that joke on this podcast. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I think... I'm going to connect mine with the the tangent that we went on earlier about not caring so much about what people think. And I'm going to connect it to the passage just in the way that the the woman is behaving in a relatively public setting. You know, it's a it's a dinner gathering. There's other people there and she's just showing totally abandoned devotion and love for Jesus you know, in the midst of this setting. And that's the kind of thing that just like would be totally embarrassing if you were if you were focused on yourself or your own reputation or anything like that. And the fact that she rather than being embarrassed is just, you know, having this emotional response to Jesus is really, like I said, indicative of the faith that she had and the fact that she had been forgiven the gratitude that she had. And I just hope to embody that in a certain way, not necessarily by walking around weeping and throwing perfume bombs or something, but instead by just being willing to talk about my the way that my faith affects me and um, do so maybe in situations where there, the people around me aren't believers and not feeling like I have to tailor the message or, ta- or tailor my own presentation. Because like I said what this passage says about says about people those who are going to hear are going to hear and those who aren't going to hear are going to find any excuse to to not so that's what i'm gonna do i'm gonna try to be less self-aware Tasman, guess what it's time for? It is time to select the best of the best of something. That's right. We're about to have a draft and not the NFL draft. That's coming up in April. But no, we are going to have a Bible draft again. Uh, We've been doing this over the past couple weeks. I think it's fun. It's uh, something interesting to do. And uh, this week, Taz, we are going to be drafting top five disciples. So who do you think, if you were to make a dream team of Jesus' 12 disciples, you could pick five, alternating order, just like a draft. Uh, What are your top five? All right, I'm going to open up the gates with John, the beloved disciple. 
That was uh, mine. Not that only. Mine. <laughs> yep. <laughs> not only did Jesus love him, not only did he write like a lot of books, not only did he live the longest, but he's also faster than Peter in a foot race. And everyone knows it. <laughs> uh, I'm I'm going to pick the loser of that foot race. I'll go ahead and pick Peter. Um, you know, preached uh, on the day of Pentecost. Huge, uh, huge thing. So I'm going to go ahead and uh, snag him. Uh, he's a little boar-headed, but hey, so am I. So it works out. Mm-hmm. I'll go with uh, James, specifically John's brother, James. Mm-hmm. Uh, the two of them together, they were uh, called the Sons of Thunder because they were a little fiery, which is just fun. But, you know, something about James. I think James is the one that's actually Jacob, right? Uh, I think the other James is renamed Jacob, James, the son of Alpheus. Pretty sure James is just a Greek way of saying Jacob, but I could be wrong. I'm going to go with him. (laughs) Um, Okay, well, I'll go ahead and take uh, Levi, I mean Matthew, uh, you know, chief tax collector, uh, you know, figured uh, we'll we'll go ahead and uh, throw him in there. I like that. Uh, Philip, I'm going to go with Philip. He, if I am not, unless I'm very much mistaken, he's the one that actually finds the kid who has the five loaves and two fish for the feeding of the 5,000. So stand-up guy, go-getter. Yeah. Well, uh, I think you slept on this pick, not going to lie. I wouldn't have taken him over, or I wouldn't have taken Philip over him. But uh, don't break up the brothers. So uh, I'll go ahead and snag Andrew since you snagged John and James, I'll go ahead and get Andrew. I got Peter and Andrew. There you go. I'm gonna go next with Thomas. Yeah, he had he had his moment. Yeah, you know, he he gets a bad rap because of that moment. But you know, if you read everything that he does before Jesus dies, like there's no there's not a bad thing to say about the guy. He um he's honest. You know, in in all of Israel, there's not anyone more more honest, straightforward, blunt than him. So I think that's a that's a good person to have around. Man, you know, I, this is an awkward pick. From by the way, Thomas was like a, a eleven seed for me. I just want to point that out. Like, bro, <laughs> I had him as an eleven seed. Awkward pick for my team because they're not going to get along with Matthew in particular. Uh, but let's go ahead and pick Simon the Zealot while we're at it. You know, I love the the zealous energy right there. Okay, um, maybe a little little too zealous, but we'll we'll we'll, we'll rein that in. It's okay. It's okay. Cool. And I'll go ahead and close out with Bartholomew, mostly because that's a pretty epic name right there. Hmm. Uh, let's see here. Uh, my options are uh, Judas, uh, Judas, uh, different, not Iscariot, clarification. There's two of them. So Iscariot or Thaddeus or uh, James, the son of Alpheus. Uh, and I'm just, I don't like the juju around the name Judas. I mean, of course you have Judas Maccabeus, who ostensibly both of them were named after. But, uh, you know, I'll go ahead and take Jameson of Alpheus, you know. We'll, uh, we'll call that good. So, if, uh, if I have this written down correctly, I think it's just the Judases that got left out. (laughs) (laughs) Alas, poor Judases. All right, well... 
between the two of our teams, I've got James, John's brother, John, Philip, Thomas, and Bartholomew. You've got... Uh, I've got uh, Peter, Matthew, Andrew, uh, Simon the Zealot, and James, son of Alpheus. Perfect. And if you are listening on Spotify, there is going to be a poll in the description, and you can choose which of us think has the better team. I mean, obviously your team is faster. Thank you all for joining us this week. Front Porch Report is a passion project by a group of people who love Jesus and want to spread his word. Our hosts are Taz Turner and Samuel Hinckley. Our theme song is If by Beautiful Eulogy. We are available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you listen to podcasts. If you like what you hear, please give us a rating and share this episode with your friends so that we can continue to spread the word. If you'd like to get in touch with us, Follow on Twitter, where we are at Front Report, or send us an email at thefrontporchreport at gmail.com. We'll catch you next week. In the meantime, stay safe out there. Can you hear the beeping? I can hear the beeping. We're moving into, that was a terrible transition. I don't know why I said it that way, so I'm going to start again. You are muted. It happens once every episode. You're not talking. Are you thinking? Yeah, I'm thinking. Oh, okay. (laughs)